turn together to Genesis chapter 22. Thanks to the band for leading us and giving of themselves uh, week in, week out. So we've been in a series since, kind of since school started, I guess, uh, looking at the 11th chapter of Hebrews and kind of going slowly through it. The 11th chapter gives us really a a list of the faithful saints who have gone before us. Um, The writer of Hebrews is pointing back to uh, them just as example after example after example of people who lived by faith, who trusted the Lord, who went through some pretty crazy circumstances, and uh, that God looked at them and He commended them for their faithfulness. Uh, So the writer of Hebrews is saying these are people who have have been through it, and you can learn from them, we can all learn from them, we should pattern our lives after them in certain ways, and so we've just been going slowly through that. And so we get to the point in chapter 11, where it points back to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, where Abraham and Isaac uh, go on a little trip, and uh, so we're going to look at that, and you'll notice at the beginning of verse 1, it says, after these things... God tested Abraham. So let me tell you what these things would be. Uh, Abraham and his wife, had, were, uh, they were living somewhere, and uh, they were getting older. They had not been able to have children. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave, leave your homeland, leave everything that you know, and you travel to a land where I'm going like, to, I'll show you where it is. And once you get there, I'm going to uh, establish a great nation through you, like through your family lineage. And I'm going to bless the entire planet for all time through your bloodline. And so uh, he and his wife and uh, a little group of them packed everything up and left. And uh, even though they were unable to have children... They were believing that, that God has called us to leave. He's going to show us a place where, where we're going to settle down. And he said he's going, to, he's going to establish a nation through us. And so we're going to trust him. We're going to believe him. And so they, they went. And uh, a, a part of what happens later on in the, in the story, um, God comes to Abraham and says, you and your wife Sarah are going to have uh, a child. And Sarah kind of laughs because she's like, Look, I can't have children. And, and by this point, she was past the point of, of where it was maybe an infertility issue. And now she was, she was older. And so, like I said last week, all the biological things that have to happen for that to happen weren't happening. And so that's a, another reason why she laughed. You know, it's, it's not like that was even really a possibility for her anymore. And she's basically saying, like, look, I'm old. Uh, that's not, just not going to happen. And she laughed. And Abraham, you know, he probably had a chuckle at it as well. Uh, but God was like, no, um, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to have a kid. And sure enough, a year later, Isaac was born. And so, uh, so that's kind of what has happened is uh, God has, has called them, and he has faithfully led them, and he has like, made good on his promises to them. And so uh, the, the key to a lot of this is understanding that God's, God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm, through you I'm going to create this new nation, I'm going to bless the earth. Through your lineage, Isaac was the key to that. And so in chapter 22, God decides to test him. And you'll notice where it's, when it says in verse 1 again, after these things, so after all that I just said, God tested Abraham uh, 
we need to kind of clarify what's going on here because we live in a in a culture where we we have a certain there are certain things we think about with testing, and you if you've been around for a while you've probably heard me talk about this, but you know in school you take a test in order to like see if you know the information right if you can if you know how to work these math problems or if you know what this chemical equation will do or if you if you read the the story and if you if there was comprehension there or if you know how to conjugate these verbs or whatever. There are these tests that you take in school. And the goal there is, is really like, do you understand the information? Do you know the answer? Are you going to get this right? And so many of us, when we think God tested Abraham, that, that's kind of, the, kind of what's going on here. It's God's being like, all right, we're going we're gonna to see if you really love me. We're going to see, if you, we're gonna see what, what you got. We're going to see if you get this one right. You know? and, um, that's not the kind of testing that goes on when God... Is testing Abraham or you know us either. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always kind of felt like my teachers growing up were always trying to kind of trick me a little bit. You know, like they were um, that they were always trying to put things in there to kind of mess you up and trip you up and all that. And no offense, to any teachers who are here, I was a teacher as well, so uh, I never did that to my students, and I'm sure none of you have either. But I always felt like that was the case. You know, like there was like a trick question or. Something was worded kind of weird or whatever, but uh, so it was always like this student versus teacher kind of thing, and like this tension maybe that's there sometimes, and, and that's that's not what's going on here. That when when God is testing Abraham, he's not he's not saying like, okay, uh, we'll, let's see if you'll get this right. What he's saying is, do you trust me or not? Like that's the question. That's the question that reigns over testing of faith. Is God saying, do you trust me? Not, are you going to get this right? Or not, let's see what you'll do. Uh, because God knows what we're going to do. Right? It's not a, it's, we're not testing so God can figure it out. Like, oh, I wonder if they trust me. He knows. Uh, testing really isn't about uh, like bringing God in the loop on something. Uh, it's really a, more about us than it is about him. And I think it was really more for Abraham's benefit than it was for God's like knowledge of, I wonder if he really trusts me. Uh, Abraham needed his faith to be tested, and it had been tested previously, and now he's about to enter into what, what from what we can tell, is the biggest test of his life. Uh, the biggest time when God comes to him and says, do you trust me or not? And so let's just read the account. Uh, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of, of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All right. So turn over to Hebrews 11. And as we've talked about it at each stop along the way, Hebrews 11 uh, casts some new light, gives some new information on some of these old stories. Um, so just to recap... God says, take the son, the heir of promise. Take him, go, I'll show you where, and you're going to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And a burnt offering was uh, exactly what it sounds like. You would, you would take, an, you would take the, an animal, you would slaughter it, uh, which was a very violent and bloody kind of death. And then you would prepare it and you would, you would burn it, but you would, it, would have to, it would, would be fully consumed so that the aroma... Uh, that, this was the thinking, was that the aroma, as the aroma rises up, that God smells the aroma of their worship and he is pleased. Um, and so uh, there's obviously some tension there, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. And so they go on this journey, a three-day journey. had to be the longest three days uh, of his life, I would imagine. Um, probably quite miserable. Um, something that's interesting, a little side note, is that most... Just about everybody uh, believes that that where this actually happened is is in what would become Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Uh, so whenever you see a picture of, of the old city of Jerusalem, you see the Dome of the Rock. Uh, the Dome of the Rock is where that's where the Holy of Holies was in the temple that would be built. That was built in the place where they believed that this happened. Um, so when you see a picture of that and you want to have some imagery uh, or whatever. Not that I guess it really helps as far as imagery goes, but that's where they think this, this all went down. That God sent him on this journey, and so for three days he basically went to what would become Jerusalem, what would become the holiest place on the planet, uh, where the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt in fullness until Jesus came and the veil was torn and all that. That that's where this happened. And so this is a significant event not only in Abraham's life, but in our lives as well. It all, everything ties together so perfectly. And so, um, so this, he goes and uh, God saves the day, right? So you're kind of like, oh, okay, good. You know, now this ends. What we are looking at, though, is the heart of Abraham in the midst of this whole thing. It's easy for us in retrospect to be like, man, that dude had so much faith. That was so great. Uh, but we really need to, to try and, and enter into his mindset during, from, the, from the time the instruction was given all the way through the time when the angel spoke and was like, hold on, you know, 
That had to be gut-wrenching for him. Uh, let's look at what Hebrews 11 has to say. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. All right? So, you, so when you look at those two verses together, uh, it's kind of you know, summarizing it, but and, and you kind of it would be real helpful if if we had some sort of like smart board technology like on like when they like break down like political races and they do all that stuff on CNN they have like the big board and they're like separating red states and blue states and all that kind of stuff if you could take this and kind of diagram it out uh, what it's basically saying uh, that by faith Abraham offered up Isaac and he was in the act of offering up his only son and all this is done by faith. So it's saying, okay, this is the heart set, the mindset of Abraham. As he's going about this, he was trusting the Lord with all of his heart and not leaning on his own understanding and acknowledging him in all of, of uh, his ways. And this straight path led to uh, him tying up his son and laying him on a pile of wood uh, about to slaughter him and burn him up. Now, how weird is that, right? That's, that's such, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But the Spirit of God is telling us that all, Abraham did all that in faith. And he was, while he was being tested, it was in faith that he offered him up. And he who had received the promises, okay, that's Abraham. So he's been receiving these promises from God about his son, who he's about to kill. Um, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so th- there's a lot of conflict here. You know? There's, a, there's a, a like moral and ethical conflict of like murder, right? Like God's asking him to murder another human. Not only to murder this human, but to uh, do it in such a way as to then like make him an offering, you know? So, so take the relational stuff out of it. Like, just the act in and of itself, a lot of tension within that. Then you bring into the fact that he's not just murdering some random person, he's murdering his, his son, his miracle son, right? The heir of all the promises. It wasn't just any kid. I mean, it was a kid, so that alone makes it weird, but it was his kid, who he wasn't supposed to have in the first place, whom God had promised and worked this miracle, and through this child, all these blessings were going to come, and so you kill the kid, you kill the promise, right? So there's relational tension there, there's, there's I don't know, call it whatever, spiritual tension of being like, why would God ask me to do this? Why would he make a promise to me and then ask me to kill the very the very thing that was going to fulfill the promise. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, what a terrible three-day journey. And yet you remember in the story when he says, we're going to go over there and worship, we're going to come back. So that's, he's either like not wanting the guys to pick up on what he's going to do, or there's more going on than we recognize. Look at the next verse, verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. 
from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know what that verse tells us? See, a lot of times, I think we, we look at Abraham and Isaac and we think, man, his faith, in his faith, uh, when God told him that, he, almost like in the back of his mind, he's like, there's no way that my God's going to ask me to do this. So I'll just kind of play along, and I'll go through the motions, and we'll, so I'll get the wood ready, and we'll pack the donkey, you know, and I'll get some cause the, you know, other two guys together, and we'll go on this journey, we'll go, and like, there's the mountain, and the whole way, he's like, all right, clock's ticking, you know, like, I'm getting kind of nervous, but you know, whatever, and, 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 you know, like, he's, like, wrapped, you know, binding Isaac up, and, like, getting the wood ready, and lays him on there, and he's, like, gets the knife out, and he's, like, all right, three, two, one, you know, like, he's kind of, like, uh, trying to fake God out, you know, and uh, almost, like, the whole time, he knew he wasn't going to have to go through with it, but this verse, this verse tells us that he was totally going to slaughter his own son, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. This verse, okay, through the inspiration of the Spirit, the author of Hebrews is saying, here's what's going on in Abraham's heart. He knew, I'm going to slaughter my son, and my God is able to bring him back. This verse tells us he didn't think he was going to get out of it. This verse says, I'm not going to get out of it, God's going to redeem it. He was totally going to kill his own son. I don't know if that makes the story better or makes it worse. But for me, it's a little different than thinking the whole time he was like, oh, I'll never have to do it. I'll just go through the motions. But he was willing to do that. And God looked at him and said, righteous. It's like, yes, that's it. And I don't think we're sitting here like, wait a minute, how's that righteousness? How's that consistent with holiness? But remember, he was being tested. So if the question is, do you trust me? His obedience is how you answer it. That's how he answered it. That's how you and I answer it. Do you trust me? Yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Prove it. That's how it works. And so I, I think it's good for us to kind of struggle with that, you know. Like, okay, Noah built a big boat, okay? And Enoch walked with, with God, and Abel, you know, made a sacrifice. And, uh, you know, Sarah, she had a child when she wasn't supposed to. This is in, like, a different category. And I think the Lord's like, yeah, it is. It's totally in a different category. And so why would this make it into Hebrews 11? I think we have to, to try to crawl into the mindset of what's going on here. What, is, what do these verses tell us? Why would he be willing to kill his own son? Well, a few weeks ago, um, when we kind of started this, I kind of introduced some questions to maybe help with processing what living by faith is like. And so I want to use these questions again to maybe, maybe let's cast some light into it and maybe see what's going on here. So the, the first question, uh, like when you're walking by faith, first question was like, okay, what is, what is he leading me into? Right? 
which is different than like, what am I facing? You know, what am I up against? It's like, no, what's he leading me into? What's he, as our faithful shepherd, he's walking ahead and we're following him down the path. He's leading me into something. So for Abraham, the what is he leading me into is he's leading me to slaughter my son and burn him. That's what he's leading him into. All right? So we can all rest easy and be like, okay, we're not going to face something like that. There's an extreme example here, but that's what he's leading him into. So the second question that we're kind of posing is like, all right, what are... What are the things hoped for? You know, if faith is, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen, what, what is he hoping to, ha- to happen? You know? Not in a, like, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that this happens, but like, what is he really hoping comes of this? Well, certainly he, he was probably hoping that he wouldn't have to go through with it. I would think would be part of it. But bigger than that, he's hoping, he's hoping that God... Uh, proves his character and his plans and his relational promises to be true. We kind of went through this in our community groups a few weeks ago with Isaiah 43, being like, okay, what are, what are the things hoped for? Uh, okay, well, I may just wrote some things down. In re- regard to the character of God, what is he hoping for about God's character? One is that he keeps his promises. That had to, had to be something he was hoping for, is that... Um, Okay, well, God promised me a child, and through this child, uh, like a great lineage that would be a blessing to the world. And so, a part of what, the character that I'm sure he was hoping for is that God's not a liar. You know? That he has integrity, that he keeps his promises. Okay? So that he's a promise keeper. Uh, another one right next to that is that he's truthful. You know? That he's not, like, lying. He's not manipulative. That he's not... You know, he's not like us. He's not fallen and impacted by sin like we are. That he really is holy. That he really is sovereign. That he really is one who gives life. And that he is ultimately good. Had to be the things hoped for, right? As far as his character. Uh, the second thing we looked at as far as things hoped for is just the, what, is, what are the, God's plans for the world? Well, according to the promises, his plans for the world were to bless the world through the lineage of Abraham and Isaac. Okay, well, if that's his plan, then I'm hoping that that plan comes true. I'm hoping that he's right on target, that he really can like, fulfill that and meet, uh, do everything that he's promised that he will do. Um, as far as the relationship, well, he made a covenant with him. A covenant is more than like a piggy swear, right? I mean, it's a covenant. You cut a covenant. There's bloodshed with a covenant. And so relationally, God had made some promises to him. And God, uh, in, cutting, in the cutting of a covenant, you know, they cut the animal in half and God passed through the middle of it. And he's basically saying, may the same thing happen to me if I break my side of the covenant. And God is unwilling to step down as God just to break a covenant. And so the things hoped for in relationship and in the, his plans and in his character, um, all these things had to, be, they had to be in his mind. So if Hebrews eleven seventeen is right, saying all this happened by faith, then that had to be a part of it. But to me, I think the, 
The, the most powerful question in, in this, I think, that we can learn from is the third one that we, we looked at, which is, what, are, what have I seen that helps inform the unseen? You know? So if faith, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, uh, the conviction of things not yet seen. And we spent the first, first Sundays talking about how our faith is not blind. You know, we're surrounded with evidence of His grace and His goodness and His power and His faithfulness. And so uh, we're not uninformed with this. So if Abraham, and I'm just you know, out on a limb here a little bit, if, if he were to sit down and work through some of these things in his mind, saying, what's he leading me into? Slaughtering my son. What am I hoping for? That he is one who keeps his promises and that he's going to make good on his covenant, that he really is going to do everything that he said he's going to do. If he got to the next one and was like, okay, what have I seen that informs the unseen? Well, one thing is that on a three-day walk through Israel, you see some of the most beautiful land on the planet. Um, the Bible says that, that the, when God gave them the promised land, He said, look, this is, in God's, in God's uh, humble opinion, this is the best land on the entire earth. And when you go there and you walk around, you're like, all right, I get it. I get it. So he had three days of being out in creation on this journey. So that had to fit into it. The scene of creation all around him. What else had he seen? Well, he'd seen God instruct him to leave his homeland and go somewhere. And he'd tell him where, and God told him where. Uh, seen God promise and do some things. But the most obvious and compelling bit of evidence, the most incredible thing that was in, fits in the category of seen that informs the unseen, is the boy walking next to him. The son that he wasn't supposed to have. The son that was promised to him. And so there's just so much tension in it because... The seen informing the unseen, okay, Isaac, is the very thing he's supposed to do away with. In Romans chapter 4, you don't need to turn to it, but I just want to read verse 19. It says, He did not, this is Abraham in regard to the promise of Isaac, he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, all right, he didn't. He did not weaken in faith when he considered how old he was and how old his old lady was, right? That didn't cause his faith to weaken. When he got all circumstantial in his focus, it didn't cause his faith to weaken. The next verse, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he'd promised. That's why Hebrews 11 points at this guy and says, you can learn from him. Model model your life after him. 
And when it came to the promise of, of Isaac being born, it didn't make him back down the fact that he was really old and his wife was really old. His faith increased because he really believed that God was able to do that. And so now he has this living, breathing proof as they're walking forward. And he's letting Isaac play a role in his, in his heart and in his mind that pushes him forward in his faith. It doesn't make him back down. It makes him grow stronger. And so why would he go and be willing to slaughter his son? Because of his son. Because of his son. Not in spite of his son. Because of his son. So he, he comes and he takes the boy and he's holding, he's holding the very reason why he's about to do this. He lays him on the altar and he's willing to go through with it. Why? Because he believed that God was able to do whatever he wants to do. And in this case, he's like, this is going to be the, the most terrible experience of my life, but God's going to, God can bring him back to life. Now, how many, how many resurrections from the dead had happened at this point in history? We don't really know. There ain't any in the Bible that I'm aware of. You know, here we are today. We're like, well, he did it for Jesus and did it for Lazarus. So to us, it makes perfect sense. Two examples out of billions. <laughs> But to him, it's not like he had these examples. He was just like, no, I'm pretty sure God can do anything he wants to do. If he can let us have a, have a child, he can do whatever he wants with the child. And it pushed him forward in his faith. And I think that's a big part of what we're supposed to learn from this. Now, the last question is, okay, well, what's the, what are my next steps of faith? Well, for him, it was pack for the journey, you know. Get ready, and let's get ready to go. So for us, if obedience answers the question, you know, do you trust me? Um, then what are we supposed to learn from this? Well, I think, I think it's really, it's actually very simple. Uh, because none of, we're not going to face something like this, you know. Our faith is tested, yeah, but... This is an extreme. This is a unique occurrence in the history of our faith. So the things we go through, they kind of pale in comparison, but at the time, they, there are things that we're, he's leading us into that feel really, really heavy and filled with fear and doubt and different concerns. And uh, I think one of the things we learn from Abraham is, is how to let the faithfulness of God impact us in healthy and good ways. Uh, and I, I know like this, this visual is probably a little bit cheesy, but it's okay. I'm, I'm a cheesy person, so it'll, it'll make sense. But, but I, I think I, so I have these two stools, and I'm going to put them on the Lord's Supper table. So if you have an issue with this, I'm sorry. Um, but let's, let's treat this like a scale. Um, and... So it's like one side of the scale, I think, could be the things that like God has done, like the, his faithfulness that's been displayed on our lives. You know? So for Abraham, let's say that Isaac was seated right here. Let's say on this side, these are, are all the, the fears and the doubts and the concerns and the what-ifs. Let's, let's say this is like circumstantial. 
And this is evidence of faithfulness. So over here, you probably have that ethical conflict of murder. You have the relational conflict of, this, of killing your own son. You have the, why would God ask me to do this? You have things like, what, how do I explain this to my wife? Um, you have, uh, how do I know this is really him and not just something I ate? You know, like that, like the insecurity we all have about, like, how do I know this is God's voice and not my voice? You know, that classic question. And um, if you're hoping that I answer that right now, uh, I'm sorry, but you just keep coming back. And I'll get to it eventually. Um, but th- that's a legitimate question, right? I mean, th- that had to go through his mind. He had to wonder, like, am I sure that was him? All those doubts and insecurities and fears, and all, let's say that all that's right here. And let's just say it's just Isaac sitting right here. Now, you would think he, he should be over here, right? He should be a reason to not do it. But he's actually over here. He's the evidence of God's faithfulness in his life. And so, um, if these are scales, these are not equal. You know? So, in Abraham's life, it would be like this, right? That Isaac far outweighs all these other things. Now, the fact that God promised Isaac to a super old couple... And there he was, living, breathing, proof. Now for Abraham, this is enough to outweigh all this other stuff. They weren't equal. And they, and they certainly weren't like this. And they certainly weren't like this. It landed. It landed in a place uh, where his heart, like he was like, this is what I need to do, and God's going to redeem it. God's going to... I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me at the time. But God's going to make this right. So I think for you and I, uh, I brought some things. Uh, actually, I didn't bring one thing, but I have a giant one right here. Uh, not a giant one, but it's a big cross. Uh, so so for, let's say like he's leading you into something, and you're like, what, what do I have that would go right here? Okay, here's one. All right. I'll move over here. Uh, so... In the, on the side of the scale, it's like, how have I seen God be faithful? Uh, Jesus, salvation, redemption, reconciliation, Colossians 1, 21 through 23, that we spent going, going through in community groups the past few weeks. That all being real and true, that's, that's there. Um, the, Bible, the Bible would be there, right? Because that, uh, not only do you have countless examples but you have just infinite truth that would go on this side as well, um, for sure. Uh, you have, I went and cut this out of the front earlier because this was sort of last minute. Uh, tell me that's not, that's Instagrammable right there. Um, so let's let, let's let this represent creation, okay? The created order that's all around us. And so we'll kind of let that be there. Um, and so, so there, if you're a Christian, there's one, two, three that you have for sure. You absolutely have that for sure. Um, now let's, I'm going to pile some personal things on top of, of it. Uh, this is a silver ring that when we, years ago, when we, uh, launched the church, we had like a, like this prayer deal that kind of got out in front of it. And everybody that was a part of the, that committed to praying for this church launch, I got one of these rings just to keep somewhere uh, as a reminder of 
the ring, okay? And so, um, so this, uh, this sits on the, above my sink or whatever, so when I uh, wash dishes like once a month, uh, I see it. <laughs> this represents not only the, the fact that we're a church and we really statistically should not be a church, um, it represents the people who have come through here for so long and the, the shoulders of those that we stand on who in 19, no, in 2000, in January of 2000, sat around a living room and said, I, I really believe God's leading us in this direction that one day we're going to be a church. And who knew that like only 2% of the people in that room would actually be a part of the church, but everybody there believed, no, God's going to do this. And as long as we're here, we're contributing. So this, this for me, is a, is a community representation. So I'll put that on there, that none of us are in this uh, alone. I brought these from home. Some of you know, know what this is. This is a railroad spike that God uh, used to confirm to me uh, that Monclova, Mexico, was the group of people we were supposed to connect with. Uh, outside of the United States. And so um, even though because of the drug wars we can't go, we have a, a deep connection uh, with people there. And so that also sits on my windowsill. Um, this is a railroad spike that uh, I found at the railway station in Calcutta when, we, when the time that me and Adam went. And uh, this, to me, just points back to the Mexico nail. Um, but also they don't use these at railway stations in India. They tie the... They, they do things differently. You don't, see rail, you don't see nails anywhere. And here's this old gnarly-looking nail laying there on the ground. Uh, so those sit at my house uh, pointing toward the faithfulness of God in, in my personal life, but also the, the rest of life. Um, and the thing is, there are, there are other things I could put here. I could point to Daniel in the lion's den as a story uh, in here when I faced something at one point in my life and I was like, the only way that this is going to be okay is if God holds the mouth of the lion shut, just like he did then. And he did it. There are things I could add here. There are things that you could add here on this side of the scale. Um, stories uh, that people just would not believe, things that only God can do, things that only God could heal, uh, things that only he could redeem. There, you have a list. We used to have a, a cross with all these popsicles nailed to it. Remember that? And then we did this thing years ago where we had this big, big wooden cross and we took these popsicles and we just wrote uh, reasons that we had to trust God on these popsicle sticks. Not popsicles, popsicle sticks. That would, that would be weird. Nail a popsicle to it. That's weird. And so we wrote on these popsicle sticks and we just tacked them all over this cross and we used to have it where when you did prayer requests, it was in the shadow of all these answered prayers that God had given. Uh, you have a list, and I have a list, and we as a church have a list. And all of it piles up on this side. And over here we have, like, I'll just go with me personally. He's leading me into something, and here are my doubts and fears and insecurities about whatever it is. And over here there's all this stuff. And even though it should look like this for me every single time, Sometimes it looks like this. And I don't know why. The only thing I can attribute it to is maybe sometimes I just have spiritual amnesia, you know? Where it's like, instead of seeing this, like in fullness like this, and seeing it like this, sometimes it's almost like I see it like this. You know, I'm just looking here. Is it going to fall? Okay. 
And I'm just looking at this. I'm like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so nervous. I don't know about this or this or this or this, you know, whatever. And, and so a lot of times I'll come in and I'll come here with you guys and we start singing and it's almost like I back up and I'm like, oh, I see this. And then I see this. I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to be all right. It's all going to be fine. Um, but then sometimes on like a Wednesday, it's like I like narrow back down to here, you know. It's like that spiritual amnesia that we just kind of like, it's like, almost like we forget all this and we just get so focused on this. And Abraham didn't do this. He didn't get so focused on this that he lost sight of this and lost sight of this. This is how he lived his life. So the writer of Hebrews is like, hey, you learn a lot from this guy. And I'm sitting here being like, yeah, I can learn a lot from that guy. And I was thinking about the, the movie Memento um, that was made in like, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And it's a guy who has temporary memory loss. And he's trying to figure out who killed his wife. And so he just keeps getting important like clues like tattooed on him. Because he'll like wake up and he won't remember anything that's happened. And now he has like all these like tattoos on him, you know. And I'm not saying like go get t- a big list tattooed on your arm of everything God's done. What I do think we should do is find a way to not lose sight of all this. Maybe you do make a list. Maybe you do write it in your Bible. Maybe you make it a part of how you pray uh, all the time. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's about getting more organized and disciplined in, your, in like walking with the Lord. Because Abraham processed this call somehow. He wasn't dumb. He wasn't blind in his faith. His faith was fully informed. And even though everything that's sitting on here is, is well, I don't think the stuff that goes on here is necessarily evil. Because for him, he's probably like, oh, but I love my kid. I love my wife. And I don't want to murder I don't want to do that, and I don't want to live with the memory of this and this and this and this and this. I'm not saying it's all evil. What I'm saying is no matter what it is, it doesn't change that this is what happens. This carries the weight it's supposed to carry. And every one of us have physical, real reminders of God's faithfulness in our lives, and they're supposed to play a certain role. And if He's drawing you forward, and you're scared, quit focusing on this side of the scale And just spend some time looking at this side of the scale and let that carry the right amount of weight in your heart and in your mind. It was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Uh, Same goes for us. So I don't know where this reaches into your life, but I hope it's an encouragement, uh, not in a feel-good kind of way, an encouragement to draw closer to Jesus through it. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing the most obvious songs we could possibly sing tonight. And they're both written by Matt Redman, because I think Matt Redman gets this. I really do. But we're going to sing them because we know them, and they're filled with truth, and we're going to declare them over our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we will do that. Lord, I thank you so much for, uh, for the fact that we're not in this in a blind kind of way. That our lives are filled with evidence of your grace and of your goodness and of your power of your character God I just on behalf of all of us acknowledge that we need some help not losing sight of that and so for those of us who are here who maybe have had a little amnesia I pray you'd help us to break free from that and uh, 
to recall in great detail and in very specific ways the things that you have done from our salvation to the scriptures to putting us in community together to the individual things you have done and the stories that we have that only point to you. We need help, God, for those to carry the weight they're supposed to carry with us. So help us to take a step back and see it all and to see it in detail and beauty and and to make the choice to trust you and to obey. Before we stand and sing, just just think for a moment. What would be what would be on your list besides those big things? What what specifically has he done that points to his faithfulness in your life? What would you add to that side of the scale? Father, we're grateful for these things and ask that you help us to worship in light of your faithfulness and who you are uh, to us and in us and through us. We would worship in spirit and in truth and that this would, would propel us forward as we respond to these songs. Let's stand up and sing.